my word to those parents is enjoy those kids while you got them. Seems like just yesterday our baby was born. Next weekend our baby is graduating from college. And that's how the time flies. So enjoy those kids. Love them and point them to Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, what is the value of one? You know, if you're talking a penny or if you're talking a dollar bill, then that value isn't very much. But if you're talking the value of one point or one yard, that can be a whole different story. Many of you will recognize this shot. In fact, uh, the sports world calls this the shot. In 2008, KU fans can tell of the value of one point because one point makes the difference between a national championship and being the second place winner. Mario Chalmers hit that three-point shot at the buzzer to tie the score and they went on to win the national championship in overtime. And we have seen, if you watch the NBA playoffs over these last few weeks, you've seen some games just like that where one point, one basket, one free throw makes a world of difference. I was thinking back to the 34th Super Bowl, which was played in the year 2000. You may remember that goal, that goal line stand. That's how that game ended. That particular play is ranked as the second greatest moment in Super Bowl history. It's called by the sports world as the tackle. And the St. Louis Rams were playing the Tennessee Titans and one yard made the difference between a Super Bowl championship and being the second place finisher. Again, the value of just one can be great. For Bill Buckner and the Boston Red Sox in 1986, one ground ball snagged would have made the difference between a World Series championship and a second place finish. And I can't forget this one. Just a year earlier, it's called the call by the sports world. At first base, the difference between one call, one play of a world championship for the St. Louis Cardinals and a second place finish to the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, what is the value of one? I, I was watching the news this last week and uh, I, I was watching and listening as they were telling this story about a shipment of gold discovered at the bottom of the ocean and that shipment they're trying now this at this time to bring that shipment up to the surface. The SS Central America was carrying this gold. The ship was sunk in 1857 when it was caught in a hurricane. They are estimating the value of this gold that they hope to bring up to the ocean surface to be in the neighborhood of one billion dollars. What is the value of one discovery? And I was interested in this uh, particular story. I went to the internet and was reading more about it. And uh, then I noticed another story that was very similar. Uh, it was another discovery of gold that happened just last week. I don't know if you read about that or heard about it. Uh, this first shipment that I spoke of was 160 miles 
off of the coast of Florida, a mile and a half deep. But this most recent discovery of gold, 48 coins dating back to 1715, the discovery was valued at $250,000. And the amazing thing was, these coins were found off of the coast of Florida, 100 feet from the shoreline in six feet of water. (laughs) And I was thinking, wouldn't that have been some kind of fine for a snorkeler? What is the value of one discovery? How about this? What is the value of one soul? Can you put a price tag on a soul? Moms, let me ask you this question today as it's your day. Can you put a price tag on the value of your child's soul? I don't think so. One of my very good friends that I'm in close contact with on a weekly basis is going through a heart-wrenching time right now. One of his sons has strayed from the Lord and it is absolutely tearing him up, and his wife too. And he would be the first to tell you there is no price tag that you can put on his son's soul. The text that we're looking at today highlights the value of just one. One sheep, one coin, and one lost boy. We're in Luke chapter 15, and I have to tell you, this chapter, particularly at the end of the chapter, has one of the most tender, touching stories in all of the Bible. It's, in fact, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Jesus, in this chapter, is teaching through parables. And I remember the definition of a parable given to me in college. It's a heavenly story, or it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. And Jesus was teaching his listeners through parables. His audience was a mixed group consisting of tax collectors and sinners on one side. And on the other side were the religious leaders of the law. They were teachers of the law. The Pharisees. They were grumbling among themselves saying, This man, Jesus, this Holy man receives sinners and eats with them. They couldn't figure out why a man of God would be wanting to spend time with sinners. Jesus commenced to tell them three parables, each of these parables highlighting the fact that the value of one lost sinner is priceless. The first parable is that of a lost sheep. A shepherd has 100 sheep. One of those sheep goes AWOL. He gets lost. So what's the shepherd do? He has 99 sheep still under his care. Does he just shrug his shoulders at the thought of the one lost sheep, knowing that he has 99 sheep still under his care, and he's responsible for those 99? Is that, does he just, is that his response? No, not at all. He, he, He leaves those 99 sheep in the open pasture and he goes searching for the one lost sheep and he searches until he finds that sheep. 
And once he finds it, he picks that sheep up and puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back to the flock. And then he calls his friends on his cell phone, I'm sure, and he invites them to a party and says, Come rejoice with me, for the sheep that was lost I have found. The value of one lost sheep was very high. But I want you to know, Jesus wasn't really talking about sheep. And then there is the parable of the lost coin. A woman has ten silver coins. She loses one. I don't know if she dropped it or if she misplaced it. I do know things can get lost in a hurry. I was thinking back to just a few weeks ago. I was standing at my workbench in my garage and, and I dropped a 5 sixteenths inch socket right there at my feet. I should have been able to, to just bend down and pick it up, but I could not find that socket anywhere. I got on my hands and knees and I'm looking in every which direction and I couldn't find it. I still haven't found it. So things can get lost in a hurry. We all know that to be true. We've been in that position before. This woman has lost a coin. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the floor. She searches carefully. That word means she looked diligently for that coin. And indeed, she found the coin. And when she found it, she too got on her cell phone and she called her friends and neighbors and said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I have lost. But I want you to know, Jesus really wasn't talking about lost coins there. The value of one lost coin? Very high. Someone might ask, why was that coin so valuable to this woman? Let me read to you what Mark Moore has to say in his book about this. And I quote, Considering that women generally did not work in this day and age, this coin was either given to her by her husband or was a part of her dowry. It's been suggested that her dowry may have been worn as a headdress from which one of the coins was lost. Either way, it would be a precious resource to her and a large embarrassment if she lost it. She lights a lamp to look for it. Either her house had few windows or she's not willing to wait for the morning light. She must find it now. Unquote. You see, the lost coin was of utmost value to this woman. But again, Jesus was not talking about lost coins here, really. Then there is the parable of the lost boy. And most of us know this parable as the story of the prodigal son. I won't go into great detail into this parable. I really wish that I could because this one is a favorite of mine, but we, we just don't have time to look at the details. You may know the details of this story. The father's youngest son took off to a far country and he became more and more and more spiritually lost. He was lost in the darkness of sin. 
The father never gave up on his son, hoping and praying that he might come home. Day after day, he was watching and waiting, and finally the day came that he saw his son returning home. And what did the father do? He ran to meet his son. He clothed him with his finest robe. He put a finger or a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He welcomed the boy home and it didn't matter to the father what his past had been like. It didn't matter that the boy had blown his inheritance. It didn't matter that the boy had brought shame to the family name. The only thing that mattered to the father was that the boy who had been lost was now found. The boy who was spiritually dead had come back to life. I want to ask you again this question, what is the value of one soul? And moms particularly, what is the value of that soul if it's your son's soul or your daughter's soul? There is no price tag that can be put on your child's soul or on my child's soul. So what I want to do from this point on in this message is to simply answer this question. What if your child goes astray? As in this, these parables that we've just looked at. I, I, I pray, I want you to hear me say this, I pray that this never happens for your child. Or my child. But the reality is that sometimes it does happen. And probably in a room of people this number, there are folks sitting in this room, probably a good number of you, whose child has gone astray. You look at statistics and it's, it's, it's frightening. The number of kids who have grown up in the church who turn away from their Christian roots. Oftentimes that happens when they they leave the home, they go off to the university, and sometimes we want to point the finger at the university. And certainly it it, it provides a climate that is oftentimes anti-Christian, and we try to tell our kids, get connected with a Christian Bible group there on campus, such as what Mike Armstrong is in. Mike's sitting in our audience today. You've got to get connected with a campus ministry as you go off to the university. If you don't, you are setting yourself up for for trouble. Many of you have seen the movie recently, God is Not Dead. You can understand how all of this happens. The pressure that they face at the university is unreal if they don't connect particularly with a Christian group while they are there. But it's not necessarily the university's fault. Sometimes that kid's roots aren't very deep while they're right here. The university scene simply provides for them the freedom and the opportunity to go AWOL spiritually. What? What do you do if that's your child who goes spiritually AWOL as the sheep did in this parable that Jesus just spoke to to his listeners? What if your child joins the ranks of my friend's child who has stopped believing in Jesus altogether? What do you do? First, you pray. And that almost sounds so simple and so 
simplistic. But that's where you've got to start. You pray like you've never prayed before. You pray fervently. You pray with fasting. You pray in faith. You pray in the name of Jesus. You pray unceasingly. You pray with tears. You, you recruit other people to pray with you. You pray boldly. And you ask God... Moms and dads, you ask God that He get a hold of your child's heart and turn him or her back to the truth. And someone might say, well, Kevin, why should I get all upset? I mean, my child is doing fine. He's, he or she's graduating from high school with good grades. They've got a full ride scholarship to college. They've got success written all across their forehead. Why should I get all upset? Someone else might say, my kid's graduated from college with good marks. He's, he's landed a good job and he's making a lot of money and he's living in a fine house and he's driving a nice car. He's got everything that he could ever want. He's quite successful. Well, I'm glad for your kid. If they've experienced that kind of success from a worldly standpoint, but... Listen to me, if your child doesn't have Jesus in the driver's seat of their life, then he or she doesn't have what they need for eternity. And all that stuff that's going to, it's going to get him or her nowhere in light of eternity. If your child is not investing their life into eternity, then you as a parent cannot be at ease and rest on your backside. You must be concerned for the spiritual well-being of your child. And every day you need to be going to the throne room of God and pleading with Him for the soul of your child and for the soul of your grandchildren. I just read through Ecclesiastes this last week and I was reminded through Solomon's writing that a person can have everything under the sun, but if he doesn't have God in his life, then what he has doesn't really matter. Everything else is vanity of vanities. And so I want to challenge the moms here today and the dads too. To be prayer warriors in behalf of your kids. Now, now some of you whose kids are little, those that are up here, and, and you've got kids in middle school and high school still, uh, maybe, maybe they've not gone that direction astray. And praise God if they haven't. And so your prayers need to be in a preventative way. But we're looking at the parables here from Luke 15. The reality of life that sometimes sheep get lost coins get lost and boys and girls get lost too and when boys and girls get lost moms and dads must take that seriously and they must pray like they have never prayed before pray that their child 
will come back and be one with their Creator, knowing that that is the only way that they can be saved. Number two, if your child strays from the truth, then you must pursue them. The shepherd pursued the lost sheep in this parable that Jesus told. And he didn't wait for the sheep to come back to him. He didn't figure, well, one day he'll wise up and he'll come back to the flock. No, the shepherd pursued the sheep. He searched him out and found him. The woman did the same thing with the coin. She searched, she swept, she put a light on. She got down on her hands and knees. She searched until she found the coin. My friend is pursuing his child. His child's 24, 25 years old. The father's realizing the seriousness of his child being lost. He knows his son's soul is in danger. He spoke to me about that. He said, I can't hardly sleep at night. Knowing that my son is not in relationship with Jesus right now, and if something were to happen to him. And so, he's pursuing him. He's talking to him. He's trying to reason with him. Now, I'm not saying he's badgering his son. He's not pestering him. He knows better than that. He's not beating him over the head with a 10-pound Bible to the point that the son wants to run in the other direction when he sees his dad coming. But the dad is not ignoring the situation. He is not silent about his son's decision to turn away from his faith. you ever seen a parent sit back and do nothing and say nothing when they realize their child has been kidnapped by a predator? I, I've never seen that kind of a response. What I've seen, though, is quite the opposite response. I've heard of parents pursuing their child relentlessly when they realize that that child has been snatched away by a predator. They go where they think the child might be. They ask questions. They interview people. They print posters, and they're, they're passing those posters out. They're offering rewards. They're going door to door, business to business. They go into the back alleyways. They they get on the TV and the radio and they're, they're pleading with people to help them find their child. They get their child's picture on milk cartons. They talk to the police. They hire private investigators. They pursue their child passionately. Shouldn't we have that same response? If we realize that our child has been kidnapped taken captive by the enemy. We are talking about a life and death issue that we cannot shrug our shoulders at. Our child's souls are at stake and we must pursue them. And as we pursue them, we pray some more and we pray to God for wisdom and tactfulness and how to deal with that child in these matters. We don't want to run them the other direction. 
And so we need God's wisdom. We need patience, and we pray to God for patience, and we pray to God for gentleness, and we pray that God would help us to love that child with Jesus' kind of love. But we must be honest with that child and bold. We cannot stick our head in the sand and and, and pretend that there's no issue involved here. Don't do that. You must pursue that child knowing that heaven and hell are real and we want our whole family to spend eternity together in heaven. Number three, if your child strays from the truth, then you must be persistent. In all three of these parables that Jesus told, there is persistence shown. The shepherd was persistent in his pursuit of the sheep until he found it. The woman was persistent in her search until she found the coin. The father was persistent in his hope as he waited for his son to return home. And in none of these instances do we see anyone giving up or throwing in the towel. And I said to my friend recently, as we were talking about his son, I I said, you may need to be prepared for a long journey rather than something that is overnight. I wasn't trying to be pessimistic to him. I was just trying to be realistic with him. This effort to turn his son back to the truth may require marathon endurance and persistence. There may be along the journey lots of disappointments and hurts and anxiousness and and tears shed, but we must persist. We must hold on. We must never give up. We must keep crying out to Him for a miracle in our son or daughter's life. You know what I hope more than anything this morning? I hope and pray this sermon never applies to you. When when have you ever heard me say that when I preached a sermon? Because most every time when I'm preaching, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I want it to be applicable and I want people to hear it and I want it to be for them. I don't want this sermon to be for you. I don't want you to be in the shoes of the, of the father or the mother whose son or daughter has strayed. I don't want you to experience that. But the reality is, some of you already are. And my heart goes out to you. I love you. I hurt with you. I pray with you. I'll pray and fast with you. I'm in a Bible study group of guys. And this fella that I've told you about, his son who strayed, he's, he is just crying his heart out to this group of guys. And one by one, as we went around the table, these guys said, let's pray and fast together this week for your son. 
I don't want this sermon to apply to you. I hope your children, all of them, will always walk in the truth and never stray from Jesus. That's my prayer for you. But if it is true of your children, that they've strayed, and it does happen. You know, you, 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 you know, you know in the depth of your heart if that's true. If they're not interested in, in church or God or Jesus, they're wrapped up in the, in the life of the world. They're not wrapped up in the things of God. If, if that's your kid's story, then this sermon is for you. And it's meant for, for you to have some guidance and strategy on how to reclaim your child for Jesus. You pray and you ask God for a miracle and you keep on praying and you pursue your child under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and you do not stick your head in the sand and ignore this problem. Your son's soul is at stake. Your daughter's soul is at stake. And you persist and you never, ever give up. And hopefully for you, The story will end as the story ended in these parables. That there was a time of rejoicing. That the sheep had been found. The coin had been found. The lost boy had come home. And there was a phone call made to friends and family that says, Come and rejoice with me. For my son, my daughter who was lost has come home. And you throw a party. I had a father in my office this last week telling me about his son who was faithfully serving God in his life. He had no idea of the sermon topic for this Sunday morning. But he sat there in my office and he shared about how his son was serving Christ and loving Christ with his whole heart. And you know what I could sense in that father? I sensed a joy that was welling up from his heart and it was overflowing. And I thought, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I hope and pray for every parent to experience. For there is nothing that brings greater joy to a Christian parent, a Christian mom, a Christian father, than to know that their son or their daughter is walking in the truth. May that be your experience and your joy. Let's pray together. God, pains my heart to even preach this sermon, knowing that it it's a real, it's a reality. And so, Lord, may every parent here, every mom and every dad, just be challenged today by the sharpness of your word that one human soul is worth everything. And especially so when it's our son or daughter. So, give 
every parent here your grace, your wisdom, and your blessing in seeing, if not now, then later that their children would be walking in the truth. And maybe we'll get some phone calls that we'll just throw apart when the child comes home. In Jesus' name.